I celebrated 57 years of life this week. 50 of those years have been as a believer. And I, I find myself in this period of reflection, and I, oh, thank you. <laughs> we'll get my, get my land legs here in just a minute. I find myself in such a period of reflection, and I have this sense of urgency. I know that I say the same things a lot of the time, and there are some, some mornings where I feel like I'm saying the same things, and I'm not quite sure how to articulate just how much God loves you. But I thought back to five years ago, August 12th, last Sunday, when I experienced the power, the healing and delivering power of God like never before. And, and I don't want what has taken me 50 years, I don't want you to wait that long to experience the love that God has for you, the redeeming, reconciling, reckless love of God. So I am here today to try to articulate yet again how much God loves you. And as I've been reflecting, it has been that reckless love, that song that we sing often that has been a hit with, with Kids Mission Camp. And I know my daughter, Rachel, that was one of the, the theme songs for Lighthouse Family Retreat for those who are battling cancer. Some of you have been singing this over and over again. And I want you to understand, I've been praying for a breakthrough that somehow this morning it would be different, that you would get a little bit more of a glimpse, a little bit more of an understanding of the power of God's love for you. Reckless love, there is... Let me get my notes. God's reckless love for us. Reckless, it's not a haphazard recklessness, but it is the love that seeks and pursues, the love that is wild and crazy and, and furious. It's, it's that kind of love that never gives up. It never quits pursuing us. And quite frankly, it's unfathomable. It's beyond our human comprehension but just like the song says, it's, it's overwhelming, it's never-ending. It is a reckless love of the Father for each one of us, his children. There's a, a, a line in the song that just blows me away. It says, the reckless love of God, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the ninety-nine. And that's where I ended up in all of this reflection. That I, I mentioned the parable of the lost sheep recently, and that's where this week and next week I want to hang. I want us to, to think about ourselves as that one sheep today, and next week we're going to think about ourselves in that group of 99. But the one sheep that Jesus said, you are worth it to me, that I will run after you with all of my heart. I don't want you to be lost, but I want you to be part of the fold. So the parable of the lost sheep. Parables are teaching stories. Jesus used a lot of them. As rabbi teacher, he was an excellent teacher because he brought things to the forefront of real life. 
He used people or objects to teach things in such a way that would help people understand them. Parables are open-ended. They are adaptable to our situations. And of course, you know, Scripture says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So even today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the parable is going to be very prevalent, applicable to our life. Reckless love of God. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew today, and next week we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke because those Gospel writers kind of spin a different twist on them, and we're going to dig deep into the parable. Let's pray together. God, you are sovereign and holy. You are mighty and you are worthy of all of our praise. I simply ask, O God, that your spirit align with my spirit and all of the spirits of us in this room. We ask that you would reveal something new to us that you would reveal your wisdom and your power, that somehow we might have personal breakthroughs, that we might have aha moments. I'm just calling it forth, God. We need aha moments. We need to know the truth of who you are. Let it be so in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, starting with the 10th verse. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I need to give you a lot of background. We're not, I'm not a preacher, hopefully, that takes takes the word of God out of context and just says, believe it. I want to give you some background so that you can get an understanding of what Jesus truly meant. The audience right here in those few verses are the disciples. They'd been hanging out with Jesus in Capernaum. They'd been watching as Jesus was teaching and healing. They were getting an idea of who Jesus was, and they were thinking pretty highly of themselves, so they asked this question, hey, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Jesus pulled a boy over and said to them, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. And then he went on to tell the disciples, unless you change and become like this little child, you will never inherit, you will never understand you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this was radical. Jesus was quite a radical teacher because you see in first century Jewish culture, children were not respected whatsoever. 
They were one of those less thans. They were thought of as inferior. They were without status. They had no rights. And quite honestly, in teaching, they were never used as examples or models for behavior. But did you see what Jesus did there? Jesus tells his disciples, if you're going to be my followers, then you must be like little children. So in other words, that meant it doesn't mean that you're going to add anything. You're not going to take on status. But instead, you're going to begin again as a little child. You're going to humble yourself. You're going to let go of the ideas of self-importance. You're going to turn to trust the Heavenly Father in such a way that you will be vulnerable with the vulnerability, with the weakness, with the curiosity, with the eyes wide open of a little child. And with that, I believe Jesus told them that, hey, you can't have any hidden agendas or there's not going to be any selfish, selfish ambitions here. Because he talked about then, or I would say the focus of the conversation changed, he talked about these little ones. But see, it isn't just about children. I believe everything about this parable has to do with immature in age, but also immature in faith. And I don't care if you've been a believer all your life or close to it, or if you have just decided to have Jesus, um, profess Jesus as your personal Savior, or even if you are not there yet, we all are immature in our faith. So I believe that God is speaking through Jesus' parable of the lost sheep and telling us to remember that we are the one. We are the one. So let me, let me try to get that into perspective for you, and please understand, I'm just going to share my interpretation. I believe that all of the hundred in this story are part of God's flock already. He's, they are all under the shepherd's care. Uh, the shepherd has provided for them. I believe that he has made sure that they're safe and secure and they have what they need. I believe that the shepherd has seen to it that the sheep can find the greens on the rocky, mountainous countryside where they're grazing. Reality is that one sheep wanders off, one sheep gets lost. It's separated from the flock. And as scripture says, the shepherd leaves the safe and secure group of sheep to run after the one that goes astray. And I'm sure that some of you are thinking, well, how is that fair? What's going on there? But as I said, I believe that the sheep in that fold are safe and secure. Perhaps, you know, there are no details in most of these parables, but perhaps there was a kinsman who was left to take care of the sheep. Perhaps the sheep will rely on one another and think of the safety in the flock of, of working together as a bunch of sheep better than one. Maybe they've been trained to listen for the voice of their shepherd. Maybe they understand, as sheep can understand, to rely on that voice and not listen to a voice of a stranger. I've read that sheep even run away from a stranger's voice and listen only to their shepherd's voice. Maybe the 
the group is, is a group of more of the mature ones. Maybe the shepherd knows that they will be okay. Maybe they have developed enough self-sufficiency. Or maybe this is one of those parental moments where the shepherd needs to give them some leeway to see if they can handle things on their own. We don't really know. But the reality is, in this parable, the shepherd's concern is on that one. It has run off. The sheep is in danger. It's away from the safety and security of the flock. Now, in Scripture, did you hear there was a bit of comparison? And there again, it's very common in parables to have a comparison. It sounds as if Jesus is saying that he loves and cares more for the one than he does for the 99. So you ask again, well, what about the 99? I want to remind you that, that the shepherd would do the same for any one of those sheep. Any one. I want, to, I want you to understand, I believe, the, the shepherd uh, cares, loves for all of his sheep equally. I believe that Jesus cares and loves for all of us equally and wants what's best for us. When and if any one of those sheep would run off, I believe the shepherd would run after them to get them back, to snatch them from harm and to grab them back to safety. Now, the comparison is not because the one is better or more important or more loved than the other sheep. The comparison is that these sheep in the fold right in that moment are safe and secure, and this one is lost. It's in danger. It is open to all of, of life's peril. Does that make sense to you? Now, Scripture tells us that as human beings, we are both members of that flock of 99, and we are also that one. Think of the 99. Think of some of the familiar Scriptures that you may know. The Lord is my shepherd, I, will, I shall not want. Um, the, the, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, they know my voice, they listen to me. Um, even going on to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. A scripture that says we are one body. We all have different gifts and different parts to the whole, but we are part of the group. I believe that the, the group represents people living in community depending on Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, empowered by the Holy Spirit and called to take care of one another, actually have a heart for the, the lost and the needy and the marginalized and the isolated and those that are different from us. We'll, we'll get there next week. But what about the one? I believe also that we are that one. In Isaiah 53, it says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned each to our own way, but the Lord has caused the sin of us, the way we have wandered and gone astray and done our own thing, all to fall on him, Jesus. It's exactly what Brent was reading from Philippians 2. All of our sin, our 
uh, indebtedness, all of our trials, everything was put on Jesus. And when his blood was shed, he covered us. He, he let go. He cleansed us from the weight of sin and death. Scripture says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And the punishment for all of us was put upon him. And the good news, by his stripes, the wounds that he suffered, we are healed. So that, my friends, is where I believe the reckless love of God comes in. Before we had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we became believers, we were lost. We didn't know Jesus. We weren't aware of God's love. And that's where the prevenient grace that we as Methodists believe in comes. Prevenient grace, before we even were aware of it, God was pursuing us, was seeking us out, was running after us, was trying to put people in our path that would help us understand who he was and how much he loves us. You see, he seeks us and pursues us and he chases after us. He never gives up on, our, on trying to get us into the fold. In the song, there's a line that says something like, before I took a breath, you breathed life into me. That's the prevenient grace of God. He loves his children, all of us sheep, so much that before we were even aware or could understand how much he loved us, he was working to draw us to himself. And then as believers, we're the one, my friends, because quite honestly, we are broken, wounded, sinful people, and we go astray. It happens all of the time. It happens over and over. When we sin through the choices that we make, through our behaviors and through our attitudes, sometimes we are that one. We become lost because we are entrapped in believing the enemy's lies over our life. Or perhaps we are in such a, a portion of our life that we're lost, we're separated by the discouragement or the despair of the anxiety or the fear or the worry that is overtaking us. Sometimes we are, one, away from the fold of God because we are trapped, we are chained with the, the uh, uh, feelings of unworthiness or the shame or the guilt that we are bearing. And my friends, God wants you and me to remember that he sent help from heaven. He sent Jesus, the word of God, God in the flesh to be the good shepherd for us. The good shepherd who, who died for us and was, had, was, rose again so that we might live in freedom and in victory you see, I know I've said this before, but God loves each one of us so much that he sings over us. He rejoices over us. He delights in us. And he wants you and he wants me to live in that love. My friends, before five years ago, 
when I was healed, when I was completely delivered, even as a what I believed was quite a strong woman of God, I, I struggled with perfectionism. I struggled with striving. I held on to, to shame and guilt for things that happened years and years ago. And yes, I would confess my sin, but then I would take it back and I would carry the weight of all of the burdens of life. And I was missing out. And that's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to miss out. Life is hard, but Jesus gives us strength. And when we can choose to live in freedom, when we can choose to run back and to somehow, to the best of our ability, receive the love that God has for us, my friends, life is good. Life is good. I believe that, that God wants us to remember his reckless love. How you are that one. He will do anything it takes to run after you, to get you to understand how much he loves you. He will not give up on you. It doesn't matter how far you've run or how many times you've run. He will run after you. And he will bring you back to the fold. The song says he'll climb mountains for us. He'll shine light in the darkness for us. He'll kick down walls for us. I've never thought of Jesus as a superhero, but my God, he's a superhero. We're putting our eyes on some things that are not superheroes. And God is saying, I want to be your all in all. Love me with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And when you begin to understand the love that I have for you, loving your neighbor won't be just a command and an obligation. It will be something that flows out of you because I love you so much. So this morning, I want you to claim your identity as the one sheep. Perhaps you're that one sheep who has never professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're one that has kept trying to do things on your own, and, and maybe you're one that just isn't sure that Jesus is the real deal. But maybe, just maybe this morning, it is God knocking at your heart saying, I am real. Believe me. It's real. I love you. Or maybe you're a believer who has wandered off. And as I said, we all do it. It is part of our sinful nature. Maybe you have gotten caught up in, in the temptation of living up to society standards or, or peer pressure. Maybe you're holding grudges. Maybe you're one of those who's over here by himself or herself because you're so filled with bitterness and resentment that you can't begin to take on the love of God for you. Maybe you're one over here because you're living out of that self-centered mindset. Maybe it is that self-importance, it's all about me, what's in it for me. Maybe you're over here away from the fold because you're struggling with worth. You are ashamed or you can't begin to understand how God would love you and if God would 
is loving you, then why are things happening in your life the way they're happening? Some of you may be off by yourself because you don't feel worthy of God's love. Maybe you're ashamed. Wherever you are, I just need to share this morning as I was praying, praying for you, I had this vision. I didn't see a person. I just saw an image of somebody running to God. It's like the person, somebody, I pray, in this room finally understands that I want that love. I need that love. I can't do this on my own. And I'm going to run to you, my shepherd. I am that sheep. And I want more of you. I want to understand how much you love me. And I want to be in communion and relationship with you. God's saying, I love you. God is saying to each one of us in this place, there's nothing I will not do to help you understand how much I love you. I love you beyond measure. Jesus, the good shepherd, is saying, you're the one. You're the one. Hold on, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I will not let you go. I will not let you experience anything but my love. Even in the midst of difficulty. Even in the midst of utter mountainous countryside. Scripture says, my friends, I'm just going to declare truth over you. Scripture says we are all like sheep and have gone astray. We, we act like we are sheep without a shepherd. But Scripture also says that we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our, in our communion liturgy, we say, uh, that proves his love for us. Scripture says the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Scripture says there is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. The old has gone, the new has come. We are new creations in Christ. Scripture says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. I am the good shepherd. The sheep listen to my voice. Our loving God wants us to live in freedom and wholeness. He wants us to be able to feel that we are worthy and accepted and loved. He wants us to be able to live that out in such a way that others might see him in and through us. You're the one. You're the one. And he says he loves you that much that he is coming to run after you and bring you to the fold. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I want to have you see a little snippet of a video by the person who wrote Reckless Love, Corey Asbury. He explains his definition of reckless a bit to him, and I want you to hear again that reckless abandonment that God has for each one of you. And then we're just going to go ahead and sing the song. But I hope it's not going to be just to sing it with your mind and your mouth. I pray that you will sing it receiving the truth of how much God loves you.
Let it be so in the name of Jesus. A lot of people have asked why I use the word reckless to describe God. I see the love of God as something wild, insane, crazy. The way that he pursues, the way that he chases us down, the way that he loves, I believe is reckless. And so we were going after that really furious sort of violent language to speak of the nature of the love of God that it never backs down, it doesn't give up. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He goes, no, my love is crazy. My love comes as a baby and dies on a cross. The most foolish thing you could possibly imagine. The reckless love of God says, I will stop at nothing to have your heart and to get you face to face and go, this is who I am. I'm good, I'm kind, I'm faithful. And he does everything in his power to do that. His love is wild, his love is reckless. Oh